Data Bytes are presented by Data and Society, a research institute in New York City focused on social, cultural, and ethical issues arising from data-centric technological development. For more information, visit datasociety.net. In this podcast, Tarleton Gillespie analyzes the phenomenon of trending as a pervasive logic within social media that shapes culture in new ways. Tarleton Gillespie is currently principal researcher at Microsoft Research New England and adjunct associate professor in the Department of Communication at Cornell University. Thank you all. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm Tarleton Gillespie, principal researcher at Microsoft, associate professor at Cornell, interested in algorithms uh, and their cultural impact. So I'm going to um, optimistically and maybe naively accept the uh, invitation that Dana made, which is that this is an environment where I could workshop an idea rather than present a finished piece of research. Uh, this feels extremely risky, knowing both the people that I know in this audience and the range of people who I don't know. Uh, so uh, be kind. I'm cheating a little bit because I'm going to walk you through a finished paper, um, but I'm going to do it quickly and admit that I think while it is a finished paper in the sense that I've sent it to someone, uh, is only the beginning of some ideas that I wish I'd thought through much more carefully. Um, so I'll just try to lay out what I think I haven't yet thought about carefully and see what you think, um, which seems totally dangerous. So um, what I think I will do is like take about 15 minutes and kind of walk through the talk, um, uh, walk through the paper. If you read the thing that was linked, that's it. Um, so I apologize if you read it, but I'll do that relatively briefly. Oh. A little better? Yeah, OK. Thank you. Um, and I want to sort of like open up the central conceit, I think, of the paper, uh, and then lay out what I might be thinking about that conceit and just kind of um, open them up as questions and see what you think. Um, and, and let me uh, set the stage by saying that, um, how do I put this? So um, there's been a huge amount of research, much of it in this room, um, thinking about the implications of the introduction systems and large-scale data systems into um, important forms of practice from health to education to new to what have you. Um, and I want to ask a question that sits next to those questions. Um, I want to set aside questions about um, what kind of values are inside the box and what the box might be doing um, and ask us to ask questions about um, what it means when the box becomes a cultural object. Um, so it requires a little playfulness, and it requires setting aside all the things we know we know how to ask. Um, uh, I was trained in communication and media studies and was very interested in popular culture. Um, I'm not talking about when algorithms show up in the movies, although maybe. Um, but I want to think about if we're really concerned about algorithmic systems that have an impact on public discussions, popular entertainment, culture, news, then we have to begin to think about when those algorithms themselves become part of the cultural landscape, a known part of the cultural landscape. So let me say what I mean by that, and then that's the conceit that I'm going to open up. OK, so it, it starts by trying to make the case that trending um, is a thing. Uh, let me see if I get a response here. Ooh, what happened? Sorry, the talk has gone quiet. That's OK. There we go. Thank you. Okay, um, so uh, I want to talk about trending, and I want to talk about algorithms that do what we might mean by trending. I'm going to try to lay out that category a little bit in a minute. Um, uh, but certainly the idea of 
trending as a way to understand information that's happening on platforms is on the rise. There's the easiest one uh, to think about, the most public one, maybe Twitter trends. Uh, so if you don't play with Twitter, you get the little side. It tells you what's going on in your area. Um, uh, I'm being deliberately vague about what it thinks it's telling you. We'll in a minute. Um, but the, uh, these kinds of algorithms, these ways of surfacing certain kinds of content are showing up on lots of platforms, lots of Twitter's competitors. Um, and, and even, even beyond that, I think it's telling and interesting when you start to discover that, um, that a term is showing up uh, elsewhere, right? So it's not as if the word trending didn't exist before, um, but certainly the feeling of like being able to say what's trending and mean a whole bunch of things, even in a non-algorithmic setting, uh, has been sort of popping up in, in our language. I loved this one. Um, because I got that on email from one of the journals I read, and it was telling me what was trending, including Dana and Kate's paper, so that was good. Um, you're one, at least in 2014, so well done. Um, uh, so this idea of wanting to know what is most popular on a site or amongst an archive, um, what's going on right now, what the most people are talking about in the, in the biggest way, um, is an interesting feature of these platforms. Um, they are interesting on, on one level because we had so much discussion about algorithms that personalize, algorithms that tell us what we might want, right? what anticipate what news we'd like to read or um, what's right for our profile based on our links and our clicks and our likes. And trending offers something a little different. It offers a glimpse of us. Now, I put us in marks because we, of course, don't exactly know who the us is. Um, New York is a pretty vague term. Um, uh, you can switch this, but plenty of users don't know that. Um, how it's measured, what it's looking for, what kind of time frame it's measuring, what it's prioritizing, all that stuff is left behind. Um, but at least the general offer is one thing you might want to know when you're on Twitter or on Facebook or on wherever um, is what people And that's a pretty interesting um, framework for thinking about what's going on in it's worth thinking about, I, I wanted to sort of take Twitter trends and say this isn't just sort of one example, but, um, but think about uh, sort of a, a, a broader category. So what would fall into trending algorithms if we want to talk about them as a category? Um, so not only Twitter, but many sites are using the language of trending and are using some kind of calculation to tell us what kind of activity is happening on the platform. Uh, Facebook uh, most notably did this, but we see them on Instagram and Pinterest and YouTube and Vine, um, lots and lots of places. Um, we could expand the definition and think about sites that um, allow you to vote things up, right? So a very different mechanism where it's asking for um, direct feedback, but Reddit is in some way a series of trending algorithms. In fact, there are s several of them at the top, right? How will it measure collective activity here? Not just I read this, but also I voted it up or voted it down. Um, but to do that and then populate the front page by saying this is the stuff that right now in some parameters is what's popular or what's hot. Um, we're seeing similar things uh, on other kinds of sites, so news sites that are using um, what's being read, what's being emailed, what's being favorited, what's being watched um, as a way to then show back uh, what's interesting and popular on the site. This is the New York Times uh, example of it, but we can see it in lots and lots of places. Um, similarly, if you uh, go on some of the app stores, so if you go onto Apple's app store and you open up the search bar, before you fill anything in, it gives you a list of things that have been searched for recently. That's kind of trending algorithm, in my sense, using the data of what's going on collectively to offer you a sense of what might be most interesting to you. 
Um, then we might want to add in uh, some other things. So the search engines, uh, Google and Bing at least, are doing trends analytics. Uh, they'll do them in real time. They'll also do them as sort of year in review kinds of things where, again, they're using the activity, trying to say something about the most activity, the most popular activity, and again, offer that back as a way in to know something about what you might search for or um, the world in which you live. Right? This is just one piece of, one, of Bing's uh, top 2015 or year end of 2015 um, where, again, not only are they showing lots of people were interested in the Caitlyn Jenner story, but also from the data being able to tell you about the way that they searched, um, if you believe that data and what it tells you. Um, infographics about um, search activity. So uh, you could think about um, Foursquare does this, OkCupid does this, um, uh, Echo Nest and Spotify do this. My favorite is Pornhub, because uh, Pornhub will take its search data and then tell you something about what's being searched for most, what's being uh, what's most popular. Um, and I like this one not only because it's kind of disgusting, but um, because uh, it's fascinated with the idea of the map and states, and we'll see that uh, showing up in a minute. Sales rank. So now I'm expanding the definition a little bit. Um, sales rank offers uh, what purports to be a kind of numerical measure, right, which feels a little different. What's hot right now, it's supposed to say, of all the things that Amazon sells, number one is number one, and number two is number two. Um, the reality is that Amazon has to um, manage those numbers, right? It has to manage them in a number of ways that trending algorithms have to manage as well. So um, what do you do with things that are always popular? What do you do with the Bible, right? Should that always be in the top 10, or should it not? What do you do with something that just got published? Is it, once it's purchased, in that second, is it number one? Or is it zero? Where do you put those things? Um, what categories of things do you sell but you don't include in that list, right? Like adult content. Um, so even though it's measured not just as like, here's a surge of popularity that we've used a metric for, the sales rank nevertheless has to make certain kinds of adjustments and claims about here's what people are doing. And the offer is the same. Say, you know, if this book is number one in this category, the part of the appeal is that's the thing lots of people are buying and you should be interested in it because of that or you might be interested because of that. Um, and then finally, I do think that the autocomplete measure is a similar issue, right? So how do we take search queries, use them to feedback what most people look for? Uh, and even though the purpose is not to say you should want to know this, the purpose is a little bit more like I'm going to save you a couple keystrokes, um, people find this to be legible, right? They read this and say, oh, that's people search for. And there's been lots of sort of popular articles about like, oh, you wouldn't believe if you type in whatever, look at what people are searching for. Right. Um, so even if the purpose is a little different, the way it's legible as an object about the us that it somehow represents in that moment uh, sort of has a similar relationship. Okay. So, so that's my category of training algorithms. And I'd be curious in a minute to know if you think of more or if you think some of these belong in here. Um, so there's two kind of questions that I think we know how to ask and that I want to set aside. Um, so I want to touch on them, but I want to leave them behind. So the first one is, how do these work? Right? The, um, the criteria are deliberately vague. Even when Twitter is asked to explain its criteria, it's deliberately vague, um, deliberately. So uh, what's being measured? What kind of time frame? Who counts in this? Who doesn't? What kinds of things don't get included? Um, what kind of things are prioritized? There is an acknowledgment that these are algorithms that can be adjusted. There's a great 
where Twitter admitted that Justin Bieber was just trending too much, so they had to change it. Um, so it's not as if it's like a natural phenomenon, especially the beauty of what's trending. There is no natural phenomenon that it has to accurately or inaccurately measure, right? So that's kind of beautiful for algorithm design. Um, so we could ask questions about what counts as a trend, what's being valued, and who is the us in this, who's being measured. Um, and it fits with long-standing concerns about like the way certain kinds of biases might enter into the measurement of these things such that the result that looks like the answer is in fact um, uh, shaped by those biases in important ways. And we've asked these questions about public opinion polls, we've asked these questions about the census, about social science research, um, about audience measures, all these mechanisms that purport to say this is what people do or what people are can be problematic because of the assumptions that go in at the beginning. I want to set that question aside. The second question I want to set aside is the question of effect, right? So the fact that there are these trending algorithms, the fact that they show up right where you use the algorithm, um, what does it mean that when I use Twitter or when I use Facebook or when I use Instagram, one of the things that I could do is pay attention to what is already popular by the fact that this interface tells me this is what's already popular. Um, and there are similar questions that we ask to what happens if um, personalized recommendations are right there. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Does that lead me into holes of you know, things that I already know I'd want or that assumptions about who I am or assumptions about the typical reader could sort of um, get reinforced? Um, there are lots of questions we can ask. Certainly the, the positive one would be you know, personalization feeds us the news we already know. Maybe trends is a kind of, that kind of serendipity we wanted from newspapers, right? I don't is interesting to me, but maybe I click on it. On the other side, we get things like Matthew effect. What is already popular becomes even more popular, right? So does it amplify certain kinds of things? Um, are there feedback loops in that, right? Where even the amplification then becomes further amplification. Um, is this a kind of like glimpse of the shared culture? That'd be nice. Uh, or is it a kind of homogenization of taste where only the certain kind of things that make it onto that list um, uh, show up and look like the popular? I want to set that aside. Okay, so um, this is where um, we have to take, I think, the hats that we that many of us know how to wear and put them down, um, and look at something slightly more frivolous, but I think uh, interesting. So, um, in some ways, those questions, while super important, saying that they are not important questions. Um, that they can be limiting in the sense that we know how to ask questions about the effect of a tool on practices, and that's important. But one of the things that that limits is the question of uh, two questions. One is um, that while the tool may be novel, the, the mechanism may not be novel at all. So in fact, this may be a relationship to information that we've already grappled with. Uh, and so the overemphasis of novelty can be a problem. Um, the other is that it often treats it often treats the situation as if information and contributions, posts, images, happen uh, genuinely and separately and organically, and then wait calmly until a mechanism says this will be seen and this will not be seen. And the problem with that is that's not how culture works, right? Not only are people jostling for attention, but they're jostling for attention with an understanding of the mechanisms that might amplify them. So if we took that understanding of culture and said people are looking to be seen, whether that's deliberate, right? A deliberate exercise says, I have to trend, what do I do? Or I just hope people hear this, so I'm gonna put a hashtag because then people who know this word will see this. That gesture is I will take what I wanted to say and I will try to get it in front of people who might then pay attention to it and then maybe circulate it. 
if we really take seriously the notion that um, cultural production is attentive and self-aware of the mechanisms that tend to amplify it, um, and even are interested in the mechanisms themselves, um, I think that raises a different set of questions, maybe. Part of what we can do here is to think about the kind of historical continuity, right? So in what ways have we cared about what's trending before, before we had algorithms, platforms, and data systems? And especially, what do we care about it as a cultural phenomenon? Okay. Um, we have long had efforts to and techniques for trying to know the popular. And I want to highlight uh, a range of them, just so we can think of them as a broad category. Um, so largely, these are for industrial reasons. The cultural industries would like to know what's popular uh, for reasons of setting advertising, deciding what to promote, and deciding what to make next. Um, these are all sort of like powerful economic reasons to try to know what are people watching, what are people reading, listening to. There are a range of ways they do that, and I want to highlight oftentimes we go right to the sort of quantified version, which is super important in the story, but I want to think about subjective, qualitative, and quantitative, right? So trend spotting, right? The person who knows what's coming next, the person who has their ear to the ground, the DJ or the fashionista or the critic, right? The people who are like, I think this thing is bubbling up. Those are attempts, and at one point, they were the only way that the culture industry could try to pay attention to popularity. Um, so I think a part of that, right, a part of the sort of like DJs and critics um, are a way of saying, you know what's popular, this is popular, and the industry should pay attention to that, or other um, viewers or readers should pay attention to that. Qualitative efforts, so uh, cool hunting, right? Going out and interviewing people and saying, what are you listening to? What are, what's happening? Focus groups, sitting at the mall, right? There are lots of techniques that don't depend on quantification, but are looking to understand what's popular and what's going on. And then finally, a huge and important and growing and uh, an industry in its own right of measuring audience activity, right? So um, Nielsen ratings, uh, sales data, um, billboard, you know, a whole bunch of these mechanisms uh, that are trying to figure out what it is that people are watching. Um, an increasingly quantitative, um, increasing scale, increasingly across platforms and even media, across industries, and increasingly an industrialized activity of its own. So Nielsen being just a, sort of one example on this image. Um, this mechanism is itself a mechanism that cares a great deal about saying, what are most of us listening to? What are the most of us listening to? What are people watching right now? It has that same impulse about us-ness and about um, highlighting cultural work that is being highlighted by us, right? That cares about what the audience cares about. There's an interesting tension in them, especially in the trend spotting, but even in the metrics. Um, between knowing what is popular and what is becoming popular. Um, and I think that tension is going to be interesting as we come back to the algorithmic versions. Okay, but it's one thing for the industry to care about what's popular. Um, I want to take us to a second, a second and third step. The second step is um, when those insights are made public. So it used to be that sales data and, you know, Variety magazine and Billboard, these were industry um, documents. They were by and large for an audience um, of culture makers, right, who needed to know what's popular and what's going on. There's something interesting that happens in the 20th century where that data starts to become a pu public object in its own right, right, where box office numbers show up in the newspaper, where Entertainment Weekly is telling you what the Nielsen ratings are, um, where discussion is not just about this movie's 
or this movie is popular in a broad sense, but this is um, popular with a certain demographic. This had the biggest score this weekend. This TV show is the top of its channel. Um, and being able to feed that back, both in the sense that um, audiences became increasingly interested in billboard ratings, but also popular culture picked those up and delivered them back as, um, as a point of interest, as a way to be interested in culture. Um, this is a form of advertising for sure, right? So being able to say out loud, you should see this movie. It's the number one movie in the country. Teens love this movie, right? Those are clearly um, ways to, to offer that up, right? Critics agree. These are all ways to sort of highlight, this is something you should pay attention to because other people are paying attention to it, right? That's a selling point. As opposed to, it's funny, it's clever, it came from this director, what have you. Content arguments. But I want to go to the third level. So we have the level of, we are interested in the popular and we have mechanisms for trying to understand it and those mechanisms have a, a place in the circulation of culture. And then these increasingly become sort of public objects that can be consumed, not just industry objects. Um, the third one is um, when they become culture themselves. So this is where I start to think a lot about American Top 40. So um, for, uh, for people who uh, didn't grow up listening to Casey Kasem in American Top 40, either because it was long gone, I see some young faces, or because it had no um, uh, you know, um, audience, it had no place in, uh, outside the US, so I, that would be another reason why you might not encounter this. Um, American Top 40 was a radio program for years, uh, for several decades, that would count down the number one, the, the top 40 songs in the US for that given week. It was based on billboard data. Um, and it became like a regular piece of popular culture. I will tell you that there was a time when I used to ride bikes with my family on Sundays. They used to close the, um, the Taconic for bicycling for like four hours on Sunday. And people would, it was amazing because then it's like there's hills and, you know, Robert Moses for good reasons, not bad reasons. Um, and, and I had a little radio clipped to the bike and I would listen to American Top 40, right? That was like, now I have this weird memory of like biking on the Taconic and listening to American Top 40. Um, it was a, a, a sort of like a, a, a mainstay in American musical culture for about three decades, whether you listen to it or not, whether you like it or not. Casey Kasem had been a DJ, became the sort of host of the show. Um, uh, he's also the voice of Shaggy on Scooby-Doo, so, you know, there's that. Um, uh, but it became a, a, an important sort of mechanism, not only for uh, the way one might consume this list of popularity, what songs are the top, um, but its own cultural object that people cared about, right, that was itself an element of music culture, not just a report on music culture. Um, there were debates about whether it was a good thing for music. Did it overly celebrate, you know, pop, vanilla, white? Did it have resistance to certain categories of music that were emerging? Um, did it, was it something that the industry then played towards, right? How did it get those sales? What if Billboard, you know, was incorrect? How was American Top 40 going to adjust that? Over the course of the years, there were recurring debates about um, the relationship between how sales data was actually measured, what that meant in terms of its performance, and then what American Top 40 meant to American culture, to, uh, to music culture. Um, this is interesting to me both because um, it's a cultural object. So now the Top 40 list is a cultural object, and there's, it's coded with culture. People can talk about the long-distance dedication, right? This is a thing people could call in, and they could dedicate, and you would, like, read your little message. And it wasn't even a song that was on the Top 40. It was just, like, another song they played. Um, and there are sort of, like, deep memories about this phenomenon, right? Um, and because it became a point of debate about the us that it represented. Whose music is this? 
right? Does it represent my music? What does it mean if my music doesn't appear there? Does that mean that my music is not popular? Or is my music not registering? Is, should my music register? Is this an industry mechanism? Is it a meritocratic mechanism? And you can start to hear some of those tensions that we hear about Twitter trends, right? Is this a true map of what we talk about? Or is this an artificial mechanism that is sort of like looking at activity in a very particular way, in a Twitter-centric way? Is it being over-amplified as a true glimpse when, in fact, it's a very particular one? Um, thinking about this um, and, and the way that a measure of the popular becomes a thing that is popular, right? Um, that the top 40 list and whatever metrics go into it, the mechanism that produces that, billboard um, and sort of, you know, the sales process that it tried to measure and then American Top 40 and other programs that tried to, like, track and celebrate um, offers us a kind of parallel to thinking about the rise of trends and the rise of these measures that offer us back a glimpse of the popular. Okay. So that's the arc of the paper. I'm really happy to field questions about the argument if you're interested in, especially if you buy the trending algorithms as a category claims, um, and then the sort of like link that I'm making back to audience. But here's the part that I think I've only begun to think about. Um, and I'm sort of embarrassed that I haven't pushed this question into other domains, domains where other kinds of algorithms that I don't happen to study, financial algorithms and actuarial algorith algorithms, education algorithms, we might see similar cases or completely um, uh, defy this argument to some degree. Um, so again, not just, not the idea that such algorithms might impact culture because they are deployed in the circulation of cultural work, but that they are culture. So let me just sort of propose two broad concerns really just want to see what you think about this. So um, the first one is that just as uh, if you study financial algorithms, you better really understand the market as well as understanding the algorithmic systems that are involved in them, right? So having a naive or unsophisticated understanding of the market would, by definition, sort of undermine your attempts to make an argument about the algorithms. I think we need richer theories of culture for the people who are studying social networks and search engines and content platforms. Um, I think we have to be really careful because it's really easy when you're focusing and being careful about the socio-technical intervention to forget that like, there's been a long um, body of thinking and literature about how complex culture is, how complex the sort of like public arena is. Um, I'm just going to pop these sort of up. I think um, they all need to be remembered. I'm not going to belabor them. Um, but it's a reminder, uh, I think a, a particularly important one is this idea that culture is strategic. So um, the contributions people make, whether they're making a box office bonanza film or they're posting a status update, um, they are to some degree, or at least um, by design, aware of um, what people might make of them, what sense people might make of them. They are aware of the systems into which they enter and how those might um, amplify them or not. Um, and the responses to them are strategic as well, right? So that idea that um, we produce with an eye towards the systems we are producing into, um, I think is a really important lesson. Um, and this other one, which is that culture is often thinking about itself, right? So that could be an example like, um, 
an op-ed about how popular culture is going to the dogs, right? Or um, a, a column that says, look at all the stupid stuff people talk about on Twitter. But it can be many more things, right? It can be um, interested in cultureness, right? It can comment on culture. There are all sorts of ways in which the products, the cultural works are thinking about their own place and thinking about popularness and thinking about the us that seem to be represented by what we consume, what we watch, and, and what we pay attention to. Be the tension or, or interesting combination of things, right? So it is a place where we think about ourselves and talk to each other, and it's also a place highly marked by being a, a commodity exchange. So then, I don't yet know what I mean by the claim that algorithms become culture. Um, I have about nine things I might mean. <laughs> um, and, and this is what I'm gonna leave us with. So this is the terrain on which I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, and maybe one thing to say is like, I'm fascinated with algorithms like Twitter Trends and Facebook Newsfeed where they are clearly playing with kind of public entertainment and public discussion. Um, but it might be a broader question that says, um, when do the algorithms you study become culture? Or even more broadly, when do data analytics become culture in some of the ways that I mean? When does machine learning become culture in some of the ways that I mean? Maybe that's a parallel that like, will open up possibilities of discussion. Um, so uh, one possibility is that they become culture as soon as people know they're there, right? So they become a thing that you can then potentially understand or factor into um, what you're doing with, uh, with information or with platforms. Um, this is tricky, as we know, because um, do we have to simply know of them? Like, I know Google is a search engine, or do we have to know they are algorithmic, whether we know what that means? Or do we have to know something about how they work, and if so, how much? Um, and clearly, this is a really tricky problem that people who study algorithms have been grappling with, is like, are people even really aware they're there? Even if they are, what kind of lay theories do they have about what's actually going on underneath, and how, how right are those? What's interesting to me is that people could find American Top 40 interesting, revealing, and pleasurable without knowing anything about how Billboard measures stuff. They might have a lay theory like, oh, that must be sales data, and someone must be collecting that from somewhere, and that would be enough to be able to treat that as a metric. Right? Whether you knew anything about it, it could have been forged, and you wouldn't know that, but you could still find it compelling. Um, maybe their culture when people start to act strategically around them. Um, and I worry about gaming the system because I think it's very dismissive. I think um, putting a hashtag in your tweet is gaming the system, um, if I want to broaden the definition. Um, as soon as we are strategic, not just to our audience, but to our mechanisms by which we would get audience, right? maybe that's a way that um, our attentiveness to that um, makes it a cultural object. There are similar concerns in like the study of journalism where, uh, where we'd say as soon as newsmakers know something about the routines of journalism, right? There are deadlines, people need you know, small video clips, they need sound bites, then they produce those, right? And it's gaming the system in the sense of like, yeah, you're hoping that it's gonna work, um, but it's also like, I need to be seen, so how do I be seen in a way that isn't about making my content more compelling, but sort of fitting fitting into the needs of journalists or editors or the institutions that they work for. Talking about other papers is that there are all sorts of ways that we make ourselves algorithmically recognizable, right? So how do we turn our cultural production to be seen by algorithms so that they will enjoy whatever visibility or relevance? Um, 
or when um, their operators start to talk about them as cultural objects, right? You can count on this algorithm because it does things, right? They emphasize the thing it's producing. This is a metric. This is measurable. This is truth, right? This is the thing that is being offered. Those claims are all sorts, all sorts of problematic, but they are in some ways powerful mechanisms, right? So maybe as soon as Google talks about its search algorithm or Facebook talks about newsfeed being an algorithm and opens up that door of like, you can both find that compelling and find that problematic, maybe that opens it up as a cultural object, as a thing we then treat as culture. Maybe we need to think about it as becoming culture when their output gets taken as culturally meaningful, so when people start to read the us in the claims. So if people see the trends list and they're just like, well, that's just 10 things I can read, that's one thing. But if they say, oh, that's what people read, and now I have an opinion about people, I know something about New Yorkers or about US or about whatever. When CNN says, this is what's trending today, Right, and implicit in that is not just like, this is 10 random things we weren't reporting on and now we are, but it's like, this is a glimpse of the you. This is what you care about. This is what, the, what we care about. As soon as we begin to make those claims, uh, whether we believe them or contest them, um, maybe that's what makes a cultural object. Um, and there's lots of places that we, um, that we think about that. So um, when we have opinions about what made it to number one, Right? What was the number one box office movie this weekend? Oh my God, do you believe that? People are still watching Deadpool? Right? That's, that's a thought about a metric that tells us something about the we that then we can have an opinion about. Um, maybe they become culture when they get delivered as cultural objects themselves. This would be the American Top 40 argument. Right? So now the metric becomes the cultural object. Right? And that's what's distributed, the metric wrapped in all these cultural meanings. This is Americanness, and this is you know, the thing you listen to on Sunday when you're biking. Um, there are all sorts of um, um, ways in which that thing packaged, right? the packaging of the metric and the mechanism uh, maybe makes it cultural. Um, when we worry about their cultural impact, so the debates that say um, maybe American Top 40 is having an effect, maybe Twitter Trends cares about dumb crap, and then we're going to care about dumb crap. Right? Or Twitter trends didn't list the WikiLeaks documents. What's that mean? Right? What's going on there? What effect is that going to have? Um, or American Top 40 isn't reporting hip-hop music because Billboard's rankings were working against the reporting of hip-hop music. Or Michael Jackson broke through that. Right? Like, there were all sorts of like, discussions that we had about race, about popularity, about authenticity, about industry, um, where we use the metrics and the mechanism as a sort of point of uh, contention. Two more. Um, maybe they become culture when opinions about specific ones become the opinions about them in general. So um, the easy example here is the Facebook emotional contagion study, right? When that breaks into public discussion at whatever level, people then say, oh, I think that was terrible, or oh, I think that was fine. And then that opinion starts to say, ooh, I don't trust algorithms, or I don't trust Facebook or I do trust Facebook, right? Um, maybe that's the way when they burst into cultural attention and then that opinion, that discussion, then um, speaks to the mechanism in general. Maybe that's another way we could be interested uh, in how they become culture. And finally, um, and this is sort of one that I've been, maybe this gets back to effect, but in a big way, so I'm cheating my own rules. Um, maybe they become culture when they themselves reward a certain shape of information and then people start to develop that. So, um, uh, Again, producers and industries will try to design content so that it is recognizable. 
um, they'll deliver a, a news package that has video footage and a header and a little you know blurb in the beginning, and it will look like a news package, and maybe that will get delivered up, right? They will release a, a movie Thursday at midnight so that they can count more towards the weekend box office, right? These mechanisms to try to like get the thing to be recognized. Um, and that's shaping the production, right? What things are going to be seen by that metric and enjoy the power of that metric? Um, one thing we could think about is that um, whatever the trending algorithm cares about exactly, it cares about um, surging. It cares about some kind of velocity over a very narrow period of time over and above other things, right? And one of the things that's interesting about trends as opposed to number one is that it is more interested in how much bigger over everything else it is and how much bigger it is over that topic usually. So it's relativistic in a really interesting way. So it wants things that pop out. It wants things that grow and pop out and didn't pop out before. And I'm using right now the sort of vagaries of how Twitter's described theirs, how Instagram has described theirs. So obviously if the, if the design changes, that changes things. Um, but maybe that notion of surging then becomes a thing where people try to surge, right? The surge becomes a cultural shape, just like breaking news and soundbite and top 10 and weekend box office. Each of those are like structures of culture that then matter for the way cultural objects sometimes try to fit into them. So maybe the, when the mechanism becomes powerful in that it calls a shape, and I think this is different than how it actually works, but it's like when it says it works a certain way and people start to face that algorithm, maybe that makes it a cultural object. That's the part where I sort of like fade out with a bunch of ellipses and recognize that I don't have a conclusion and I'm not even sure about all these things and not even sure if they make sense, but would be really interested to know if any of this sounds useful or like a load of crap or um, surprisingly like something you're thinking about. First, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs>